My name is Freddie Coyle. I'm from Danielsville, Georgia. You know where that is, right? Danielsville, Georgia is like Sussex. Well, uh, driving across the border a little while ago, uh, it was so cool. I was in the snow and it's so cold here. And uh, seeing the welcome to Canada sign and snow coming down. In like three weeks, I'm going to do the very same thing, but I'm going to be on the other side, the bottom side of the United States. Going to be in Texas, a place called Falfurious, driving through a border check station. It's going to look so much here, except it's going to be like 90 degrees. And so many times, in so many places, I just say, Lord, what in the world am I doing here? Because this wasn't supposed to happen, you know. I was never supposed to become a preacher, I was never supposed to travel, I was never supposed to make a living traveling places to speak to crowds about God, because I was a shy boy. I was the shyest boy around, I was terribly shy. When I went to school, I was the shyest boy in my school. I was terribly shy. I was really good looking, but I was shy, (laughs) always. When I graduated from eighth grade, they wanted me to speak at the graduation, and I told him I didn't want to. My teacher, his name was Mr. Weeks. He said, Freddie, you're a lazy student. Now, obviously, Mr. Weeks was wrong. Huh? Laziness wasn't the problem, or my grades wouldn't have been such that they would be asking me to be the valedictorian in my class. Huh? I was just scared. I didn't have any advice for a bunch of full-grown people. They're all doing just... I don't have anything that I need to advise them on. So I sat on the front row, wore the little honor stripe like they do. But I never said a word to anyone because I was just shy. I was just shy. It just wasn't supposed to happen. But then I don't want to tell you my story. When I went to first grade, on my first ever report card, it went home to my parents and they gave me all check marks. They didn't give letter grades in first grade. They gave check marks, either a check or a minus. And I had all checks. Everything was a check. But there was a note at the bottom to my mother. It said, Freddie lacks self-confidence. And I didn't know what lacks self-confidence meant. I knew this ain't good, <laughs> but I didn't understand what that was all about. But looking back on my life, I know that was true. I know it's true. I didn't have any confidence in myself. I didn't have any advice for anyone. I didn't even enjoy talking because you start talking in front of people, you can mess up a lot. So I was terribly shy, and I lacked self-confidence, didn't have any of that at all. I was born into a church. My parents were young believers in Jesus Christ, and they, they wanted their three sons to know the Lord too. So we were going to this little church where my mom and dad had trusted in Christ, and my first memory of church for myself, one of the first memories is being in the parking lot after church, and the sheriff was there, the sheriff's car, church, and I'm like, "Uh, mom, why is the sheriff here? Now I know, he was there to keep order, because those people in the church, they were scrapping. A guy actually swung had another man inside the church during church and that's why the sheriff was there because they were fussing and they were about to split that church they did it ended up in court you know it ended up in court uh, some introduction to the love of the church huh you would think that a guy whose first remembrance of church 
Is the sheriff and a guy swinging at another guy would, would have enough judgment to not make his living traveling to churches? <laughs> but I ended up doing that very thing. Actually, my very first memory of church wasn't the sheriff. The very first memory is my mom cleaned the church. She would go and clean the church. And my brother, he's five years older than, than I was. He still is. And we were playing outside, and this church was in the boonies. Do you, in Canada, do you know what boonies means? <laughs> boonies means you drive through a place called sticks and keep going, just keep on going, and then you'll get to boonies. Well, they had a baptism pool that wasn't inside the church. Oh, you want to be baptized, you go out back, back there in the woods. That's where they put the bath. I told you. Do you know what redneck means? (laughs) Well, so they had a baptistry that was back there behind the church in the woods. And so my mom is inside cleaning the church. My brother and I are playing outside the church. And my brother comes running around the corner of the baptism pool saying, Fuji's drowning, Fuji's drowning. Fuji was our chihuahua. (laughs) My brother had gotten the lid off that baptism pool. It had water in it. They didn't drain it. And my brother got the lid off of it and dropped our chihuahua puppy down in the... Fuji's drowning! Freddy, Freddy, Fuji's drowning! See, I didn't know. I was just five years old. I didn't know that chihuahuas know how to swim on you. I can't swim, so I'm sure poor puppy can't. And so I freaked. That's my first memory of church. (laughs) And it was one of the last for a long time in my life because that church split, that was nasty. And it made my mom and dad, they were young believers. But when that thing ended up in court, my mom and dad were so afraid of Christians after that. Now listen, I'm not mad at my mom and dad. I understand because I know how Christians can be. You probably know some like that too. It's like Christians who do the dumbest or the meanest things. And you're like, you see what a Christian does? And you think, ah, you got a double bowl of stupid for breakfast today. Why? Why? You know what I learned? You know what I learned? Is that you can't look at church and judge God. You can't look at a person and judge God. You got to look at God and judge what he's like. And I invite you to do that because I think God is very cool. I think he is so awesome that he demands a look. And some of you like all your life, I know, I understand this stuff. You think God is dull. Let me tell you something. God's not dull. Listen, you think, you think of anything besides dull. That's what God is. Now, you might be dull, but God's not. And you ought to take a look at him tonight. And I'm going to explain something about him to you tonight. That's life-changing. In fact, it's eternity-changing. I'm going to show you that about God. But now I want to tell you the rest of my story. So I lacked self-confidence. My church was gone. My brother was mean to me all the time. But my release was ball. I loved baseball. I would have run out on the field on one leg if I could have to play baseball. I loved it. And when I was 12 years old, I learned that there was something called scholarship. And you could go to college. You could play baseball and they'd pay your way. And so I set that as a goal in my life. And so I played baseball. And I could make the plays. I could play. 
And because I loved it, I, I was willing to make any sacrifice for it so I could play. No one would have known who I was when I was in high school had it not been for baseball. Because remember, I was shy. But I loved baseball and would do anything for it. So I made that my goal, going to ride my talent in baseball as far as I can. What about girls? Oh, I love girls. I could make a list for you for every grade, and I could write a girl's name beside every grade, because every year I had a girl crush on someone, because I thought girls were so great. There's only one problem with that. None of those girls ever found out that I liked them, because I was so shy. And you can't mess up as long as you don't go to bat, okay? So I like these girls, write their name in the sand. She loves me, she loves me not, she loves me, she loves me. But they never found out because I was just too shy. And besides that, if you get a girlfriend, they take all your time. (laughs) And they get your money. So I figured that out. I was too shy to talk to them anyway. I thought they were pretty cool, but there was a downside. The downside was forget your time and forget your money. But I, I was always playing baseball. I didn't have time to give all those girls who would have been crazy about me if only they'd known. So I was just, I, I didn't have it going on. I never had a girlfriend growing up. I never had a girlfriend growing up. Until something happened my junior year in high school. And I want to tell you about that girl. But first, I want to tell you about my car. (laughs) When I was 16, my dad had a heart attack. And my brother and I were forced then to run our family's business. Now here's the part where I may start to sound a little bit like your dad. Uh, Does he tell you stuff about walking to school in the snow and it was... He had to go uphill on the way to school, but he also had to go uphill on the way home. And you just know, Dad, you're exaggerating, but that's the way they are. I'm going to sound a little bit like that. He had to work like six days a week, 12 hours a day. Pumping gas, changing oil in cars, busting tires on that coach tire machine. Uh, My brother's five years older. You know, we we were, ah, that was tough, that was tough. And at the end of that summer... I made $400. No, no. I'm not talking about I saved $400. I'm talking about that's what I made was 400 Whole Traded a summer in of my 16th year and got $400 for all my work. I didn't have my driver's license. See, in Georgia, where I'm from, you could get your learner's permit when you're only 15. I didn't even have mine. Because I didn't have any time. I'm too busy working. $400 at the end of summer. You know what I did? My brother had a car. He was ready to sell it. And so I bought my first car from my brother. It was 13 years old. And I took the whole $400 from my summer. And gave it to him for the car. One week before we made the deal, my brother wrecked it. Broke out one headlight, messed up the fender on the right side, so I had to make 50 more bucks, went to the junkyard, pulled another fender off, and we put that on. Now, the car was brown. It was 13 years old, and it was brown. It was a brown car, and it had uh, a rusty top, and rust is a form of brown. 
And that new fender that was used that we got for it was blue. But we sanded it down, got some more money, bought some paint, and we painted it. And that was, that was the triplex of brownness. We got ourselves a triple brown car. The fender that we bought at the junkyard had a headlight in it. And when we plugged it in, it worked. It saved some money, seriously. And so I drove that car to school. First day of my junior year in high school. Parked that car, 13 years old, triplex brown. I did get some more money, 35 bucks. More work, more work. $35, went to the store, bought a sound system, and I blew the whole $35 for it. And so I installed my sound system and drove it in first day of school, parked it on the front row center of the high school gym parking lot. And see, I love that car. I was proud of that car. See, here's the way it goes. You got some guy, he's driving a brand spanking new off the showroom floor like Trans Am. He's got a Camaro, candy apple red. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I see you, Bubba. Mm. Got a girl in the car with you? Uh Uh-huh. I know. It's not you. It's the car. (laughs) You didn't work for your car, buddy. I may be shy, but I work hard. Bought my car. Mm-hmm. I bought mine. Your daddy bought yours. The girl who's in the car. Hey, hey. Yeah. You know I'm talking to you. Your car, you did not work for. The girl who's in your car does not think you're cool. She thinks you got cool car. It's not you. Hey, you remember that. It's not you. It's your car. For me, if I get a girl in my car, she loves me. (laughs) I love my car. So I parked my 13-year-old triplex brown car with a brand spanking new system in it. And when I got out, I knew I need to make sure that I've locked the doors because we can't have anyone breaking into my car, stealing my radio. You know what I mean? So I went back, looked in, and it it was the kind of car that has those little posts that you, you push down, that locks the door. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I look, check, that one's down, that one's down. We're good. Check again, down, 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 down. We're locked in. And I took one final look, and my keys were dangling in the ignition. We locked them in. First day we ever drove to high school, we locked our keys in. I got to homeroom, and... I was thinking, how am I going to get out of this? They're going to see me standing around my car after school. And I'm like, well, hey, everybody, it's a cool car. I can't get in right now. But you're not going to find out about it because I'm going to let you go home. Then I'll break out a window or something. But then I remembered there was a, there was a kid in my school. My last name is Coyle, C-O-I-L-E. His name was Cochran, C-O-C-H. We're in the same homeroom because we're in the C group. And Craig was cool. Craig knew stuff. Craig drove a Jeep. Oh, man. He got three or four girls in his car. <laughs> Craig had big, hairy arms. Craig's arms were so hairy that if he wore a short sleeve shirt... The ends of his sleeves never actually touched flesh. 
that just hung out there on those hairs. I used to just look at his arms and wish that I had some of that hair on mine. Craig's eyebrows touched in the middle. He had so much hair up there. I used to think, wow, what a man. He was my lab partner. Sophomore year in high school, he's my lab. I'm so proud, man. We could bring in stuff for extra credit. Craig's bringing in grasshoppers like that big. Craig found a hydra in his farm pond at home. You know what a hydra is? Doc Powers, like, he, like, gave him an A on three tests in a row because he had a hydra in his test water. Craig was so cool. We split open that earthworm and checked out those five hearts, man. We took that frog and tore him up. (laughs) Craig was cool. So I went over to Craig in homeroom and I said, hey, Craig, man, I locked my keys in. Can you help me out? He said, yeah, we can get it. Craig worked at a place called the Civil Defense. They handle tornadoes and car wrecks and stuff like that. And I knew he knows how this stuff works. So he said, yeah, I'll help you out. I said, Craig, let's not tell anybody about this, okay? He said, yeah, we got it. After school, Craig went over to the civil defense office like a mile away in his Jeep. He came rolling back into that parking lot. Man, those big mud grip tires were ripping off the pavement. And I said, I want to be like Craig. And Craig took a lock jack, ran that lock jack down beside my window. And he's like, <laughs> Opened my door up, never told anybody about it. Is that cool? Is that cool? Is that cool? Or what? My buddy Craig. Early in my junior year, about one year after I locked my keys in, Craig blew his head off. He went in his room that night. He shot the back of his head off because his girlfriend broke up with him. I loved baseball. And Craig was killing himself. I wish that Craig could have seen all the girls that I've seen since those days. I wish he could have seen all the cool places to fish that I've been to. I wish Craig could have taken that old Jeep of his into some of the mountains that I've been in and seen some of the sights I've seen. There's so much stuff Craig missed because he did a very selfish thing that night. And I'll never forget going to his funeral about our whole school went. I'll never forget walking outside that church into the, into the cemetery and seeing his dad. His dad was so big. He was a big man. And I remember watching his whole body shake because he was sobbing so hard. I remember seeing his little sister. She was never the same after that. And for the first time in my life, I understood something. There's something out there that's bigger than all this stuff. There's something out there a lot bigger than driving an ugly car. There's something out there more important than baseball, believe it or not. And for the first time, I began to get a clue that there were important things that I could give myself to, that there were people who had needs that went beyond my ability to perform on a baseball field. And I began to understand some of these things, and God used that in my life. You see, I knew Jesus Christ as my Savior. I trusted Him as my Savior when I was eight years old. I didn't have a church. I couldn't just go and hear a preacher whenever I wanted to. My dad would lead us around the kitchen table, or we'd listen to a radio preacher, because they were afraid of people who go to church. 
They might swing at you or start a lie about you or take you to court or something. They were terrified to risk anymore, but I was hungry for God. I wanted to know more about him, but I had baseball in a shy boy's life. And that did something to me when Craig killed himself. Some of you guys got friends. You know, you understand. Others of you in this very room, you thought about it this week. Mama didn't send me to school just to eat lunch. I know what your life's like. You got everything in your life that I had. So you love sports. You love them so much, you cut an arm off to play. It's okay. I didn't come here to tell you, hate sports. They're bad. No, no, sports are cool. They can only take you so far. Some of you really struggle with your own lack of self-image. And that's going to be the root of about 90% of the problems you're about to have in your life. Because you will take what you lack and you'll look for something to fill that hole. And for some of you, you'll go and do some really dumb things to be accepted in a group of people. Some of you will do some really dumb things to your body. You would grovel, you'd crawl over broken glass to get somebody to like you. And unless you, get, unless you get this matter resolved and find where to put your confidence, you're going to get used and chewed up and spit out by life. And I began to understand these things when I was about your age. I loved baseball so much and I wanted that scholarship. And I made the plays and had an opportunity, and one of my best friends, Ken Morgan, he had signed a scholarship, went and played to school. That's where I wanted to go. We could be roommates. He's a year ahead of me. He was an all-district shortstop his freshman year. I was coming right behind him. We'd be roommates. We'd have a very good time. And besides that, his little sister, oh, boy, <laughs> Sherry. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to play. And this thing happened that I got transferred into an upper level PE class in my school. My baseball coach worked that out because I wanted more upper body strength and I could drive it better. And I blew my, my arm out. I almost tore this muscle that wraps around your shoulder on my left arm. That's the one that carries the bat speed. I almost tore it in half, got scolded by the doctor, put it all together and I was able to to not miss any games my senior year. Hit a home run on my first swing after six weeks of being out. But here's what happened. When they changed all my classes to get me in the upper level weightlifting class, one of the classes that changed was U.S. history. And when I walked into history that day, there was a girl in there. Her name was Sharon. And Sharon, since 8th grade, see, if I wrote down for you my list, when I wrote 8th grade down, I would write Sharon Seagraves. Oh, yeah. Very cool girl. There was only one seat in that U.S. history classroom, and it was right behind Sharon. And so I had to go and sit in that seat, and we began to talk more than we ever had before, and... I had to admit there was something about her, and it was, it was driving me crazy. She also became my 11th grade girl, and she was the first one to ever find out about it. 
In my school, they didn't make announcements over the intercoms. They do that in your school. Most do. In my school, they sent out a hard copy sheet of announcements. And they would read that in front of fourth period. I had a student teacher. His name was Mr. Baggett. Y'all, Mr. Baggett? (laughs) Mr. Baggett, is that your real name? Or do you just like it when people throw rocks at you? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Baggett. Well, Mr. Baggett, he didn't read the announcements. He passed them around. And when the announcement sheet came by me that day, I wrote a note on it to Sharon. Expressing my feelings to her. See, that note is going places. It's going all the way around the room and it's going to end up back in the stubby fingers of Mr. Baggett. Boy, you do some things and you look back and you wonder, what? why did I do that? So I did and now the cat was out of the bag so everybody knew Freddie likes Sharon. Well, that's all right. So the first time in my life the girl found out. But I was still too shy. I still didn't know what to do about it. Ah, it's embarrassing. I needed an opening. I needed a, I needed a crack in the door or something. I'm not good at that. I'm just a shy boy. But then I played American Legion baseball that summer after my junior year. And we beat the best team in the state twice. Beat them on Saturday night. Beat them again on Sunday afternoon. We beat a guy named Jeff Kitchens. He was drafted by the Cardinals later that summer. We beat him and won our way into the state tournament. There's all kinds of people going to see you play if you can get in that tournament. We were there. They knocked me down on the mound. My mouth is bloody. I got up out of that dog pile and I looked. And Sharon was in the crowd. She didn't love baseball. She didn't even understand baseball. She came to see Freddie. <laughs> ah. And I knew it. I knew it. And I'm like, we got a crack in the door. And we're all going to eat steak now. And so I went over to Sharon. Guys, you would have been so proud of me. I mean, you would get chills if you could have seen that moment of my life when I approached a girl. After a lifetime of secretly loving girls, now I'm about to bust a move on one. And so I walked up to her and I said, hey, we're all going to eat steak. Do you want to go? It was that easy. That was all I had to do. I didn't have to work up to it because we already worked up. We just beat Jeff Kitchens. We just won our... So we're all going to get steak, Sharon. Thanks for coming. You want to go? And she just... The ice turned to water. She just went ooey, gooey, warm, fuzzy things going up and down her spine. She got in the ugliest car on planet Earth with me. And I drove out of that ball field parking lot, went over to Western Steer Steakhouse. And it was so good, we decided let's do that again. Went into my senior year with a girl. Now, Sharon was very cool. I don't know what that's like. They call it girlfriend. People are like, we're going together. Seventh grade boys say, we're going together. I'm like, where are you going? (laughs) Where's your car, bud? You don't know where you're going with her. And you don't have any way to get there. 
So I had a girlfriend, didn't really know what that was all about. But you know what? Sharon was cool because we didn't do that garbage. You know what I'm talking about. I never took her clothes off. Why in the world would I do that? I didn't grope her body with my hands or anything like that. I honored her the best I could. Because I knew that was the kind of girl she was. Beside that, I didn't want to ever stand in front of her dad and explain something dumb that I had done with his daughter. So we had a very cool relationship. And then came the time when I won the last high school game that I would ever play in. I played in the high school all-star game, but at that time I didn't know if I would be on that team or not. But we beat a team called Hart County. They were a team we loved to beat because they, they talked too much. We beat them 9-1. to one. My coach came out on the field, gave me my batting helmet. Biggest man I've ever known, my high school ball coach. And he broke down and cried when he gave me that batting helmet. And I did the only thing I knew to do. I broke down and cried too right on the field. Just cried all the way off the field, all the way to the bus. I cried. He was a great man in my life. He supports my ministry to this day. He told me one time after a loss, we went up on Oconee County, eight to nothing in the first inning, got beat by Oconee County, 18 to eight. He said, Freddie, it's not the wins and losses that'll define my success as a coach. But one of these days, if I can look back and there's one gym that comes out of my program, one man, everything I do will be worth it. We got on the bus and coach said, let's all go get pizza. I said, yes, yeah, a great idea. Let's do it. And I stood up in my seat and I yell out to everyone, hey, everybody, we're going to get pizza. Everybody's going. Ball girls, managers, everybody. Last time with Coach Kiesler, I got back to the field house and called Cher. Remember, we got a girlfriend now. This is really different. Hey, we're all going for pizza. Do you want to go? She said, no. Nope. You see, I was going to go to her house that day. Ice my ankle, which I always did after games, and we would eat tater tots and talk. That's what we did. Made a plan, passed it in the hall that day. Hey, your house after the game, right? Good, cool, be there. Now we're going to get peace. I changed the plan. She said, well, I don't want to go. She said, and don't call me back and don't ever call me again. So you know what I told her? Okay. <laughs> and it was over. Easy come, easy go. Right, guys? I thought we had something here. I was going to play for the Atlanta Braves. Remember, we were going to get married, they said, in our senior prophecy. We were going to have a lot of little kids who look like us. Now you don't want me to call you. Coach, my coach said, that's all right, Fred. I'll get you a girl. I'm like, coach, I think I'll get my own. <laughs> Appreciate it. So we don't have anything now. We're done. We're done. Two months later, got a call from my college coach. Said I'd gone and visit. Coach told me, we're going to sign you. We got the financial package. You coming? Two weeks after that, he resigned from administrative pressure. New coach. New coach said, we're going to honor that commitment. We're going to sign you. going to help you out financially. We're good. 
Three weeks later, he called, wanted to come and see me play. Sent him a schedule. He came over, played a doubleheader in the rain. Drove in the tying runs in one of the games. Had a good day in the field. He sat behind the backstop, timed every step I made on the base path. Wrote a bunch of notes, watched. I figured he'd be glad to sign me. After the game, I leaned. My car was in the shop. Had to borrow a car from my brother. It was a half car, half truck. Have you ever seen those ridiculous things? That's what I drove. Had a three-speed on the column. Don't, don't put it in park. You're in reverse now going backwards. But I knew how to drive it, drove it, leaned on the tailgate of that half-car, half-truck. It was so indecent. And that coach used a few recycle words to tell me that he had just given my scholarship to a pitcher. To a pitcher. I don't like pitchers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're okay, but one of them got my scholarship, and I didn't appreciate it, and that coach lied to me. I lost again. And for a while, it's like this. Craig, good friend, lost him. Sharon, good girl, lost her. Now baseball, too? That's gone out of my life. I'm, it was too late then. It was two, two weeks before classes enrolled. We're not going anywhere to play baseball. Not the freshman year. I had to live with that. I want you to know, that stunk. Royally. Now I got no girl. So I, I got money. Because <laughs> there's no girl. I got time. Because there's no girl. But I don't have any ball. That was terrible. It was awful. And it was the greatest year of my life. You know what happened? With no girl and no ball. And an ugly car. God, and I connected like never before. Here's how that happened. I started going to church. When I got a girlfriend, I had an ugly car plus a girlfriend. She had a church, so I had a church. And so I began to go. It wasn't to see the girl. I was hungry for God. I wanted to know Him more. And I figured in those days, if Jesus Christ died for me on a cross, that would be the biggest jerk who ever lived. If I don't live my life for Him. That's what I told myself. I desperately wanted to know him more. And so I sat right back near the back where all the kids did, right, right out near the end. And they had an evangelist come in. He was a traveling speaker. It's what he did for a living. Good suit, good hair, obviously well-educated, an 80,000-word vocabulary. He's a sharp cookie and very confusing. Here's what he said. He said, if you've never walked forward, you're not saved. Okay, never walked forward. That's not what my mom told me. Is that true? Stop right there. Hold the phone. Is that true? Let me ask you a question. What does save? Do you know? Let me ask you this question. If you could know what you had to do to be saved into eternal life, skip hell, go to heaven... If you could know what you had to do, wouldn't you want to? Let me ask you this. Which is better, hoping or knowing? Knowing. Yeah. So then let me ask you. Do you have to walk forward in a church meeting in order to know that you're going to heaven? Well, no. No, the Bible never says that. And I knew that. I just didn't know where it was. 
He wasn't finished. He said something else. It went like this. If you've never been water baptized, you are not saved. He said that. Now about that one. Is that true? Yeah, but he's a preacher. Yeah, but he knows a lot of big words. He's gone to seminary. I couldn't even spell that word. He holds a degree from there. Do I disagree with someone? Listen, I did disagree. That's not what I was explained by my mom. It's not what I knew in my experience with God. But I didn't know what to do with the Bible. I didn't didn't know how to explain it. I didn't know how to define it. And besides that, I was scared to death to talk to a preacher. So I didn't know what to do. And you know what I did do? I went home and cried. Raised my window. Stuffed my pillow in it. My bed was just right. Propped up on my elbows and just cried for hours into the night. I didn't know that there were people who were actually in the ministry who didn't really know what they were doing. And it terrified me that that was the case. It also bothered me that I couldn't explain these things, that I couldn't take a Bible and rip it and put my finger on a verse to say what my faith is. It bothered me, and I cried. And on that night, I became a Bible student. And I began to study. I want to show you in just a moment What I went back to on that night. But first I want to ask you a question. What about those two things? Do you have to go forward in a church meeting to be saved? No, you don't. Do you know that not one person in the Bible ever walked forward in a meeting? For anything. Now it might be cool to ask people to walk forward. There might be a reason to do that. It might be cool to ask people to jog laps around the property. For something. But no one should ever be confused about this. You don't have to go forward in a meeting to be saved. No one in the Bible had to do that. And no preacher in the Bible ever told a lost person to walk somewhere to be saved. You don't have to change geographical locations. God can save you where you are. Number two is water baptism. That's cool now. Water baptism is in the Bible. And it's a very cool thing. But no one is saved by water baptism. That's for something else. Do I have to have a wedding ring to be married? You seem a little mystified by that question. (laughs) Do I have to have a wedding ring to be married? No. I just got to talk a girl into marrying me even though I didn't buy a ring for her. And that might be a little hard. But it is possible. Besides that, if water baptism is a requirement for salvation, all the Eskimos are going to hell. (laughs) Don't they think about these things before they say them from podiums? I'm like, are you making this up as you go along? Are you just pulling this out of thin air? Baptism is cool, but it's not for salvation. And there's a hundred other things that people get confused about. There are so many things that are the wrong issues that people get all stuck around. When I was five years old, after that nasty church split, my mom and dad made one final effort at church. They were part of a little church plant that met in a house. And on one morning, I was in the back seat. My mama was my Sunday school teacher, and she taught me John 3.16 when I was five years old. That God so loved the world, and that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, 
believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Will you turn in your Bible to John chapter 3? I want you to see that. Don't take my word for it. You just can't believe every really good looking preacher you see who tells you something about God. John chapter 3. Now look at this in the Bible. Mama showed me at five years old. I got it. I memorized it. Three years later, I put my faith into the God of that Bible verse, the most famous verse in the Bible. Would you look at that verse and will you tell me what this man, Nicodemus, had to do in order to be saved? Would you just shout that out? What did Nicodemus have to do in order to be saved? First, let me ask you this. Did he have to change geographical locations? He didn't have to walk anywhere? Did he have to be water baptized? Did he have to join a church? Did he have to tell God, I'll never sin again? Did he have to tell God, God, I'm so sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I'm going to name every one of them to you and cry over them. I didn't hear you when you answered that one. Did Nicodemus have to promise God the moon? No. You tell me, what does the Bible say that Nicodemus would have to do to have everlasting life? What? Shoot. He'd have to believe in Jesus Christ, the one who came from God. Look at verse 17. Here's what a lot of people miss. Everyone quotes John 3, 16. 17's really cool too. And God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? There are a lot of people mad at God. They don't think God is for them. They think God is a big cosmic cop. And he's spending his time in heaven watching people. And this is what gets him all excited. He's looking at people. He says, oh, he did it again. That's his 13th time today. Write that down. I'm going to get him. I'm going to beat him with a stick. (laughs) And they think that's what God does all his days. No, he doesn't. God is so cool. God is so awesome. And God didn't come here to condemn people. He came to save people. And that puts him in a whole different light. The guy on the plane today thought that was really cool. He said, you said that in a way I've never heard before. Yes, I will put my faith into Jesus Christ right now, right here. That's what he told me on the plane. Mama taught me the verse. I memorized it. Three years later, I understood it. Rested my faith into Jesus Christ. I did it when I was all alone in my parents' bedroom. There was no aisle to walk down. There wasn't even a piano player. Just all alone with God. And I put my faith into Christ. And walked away with the promise of God. I'll show you another verse. I went to it. When I became a Bible student, turn over to the right. You'll go through the book of Acts. Then you'll go through a pretty big book called Romans. Then you go through two books of Corinthians. Just keep going. And you'll come to a little book called Ephesians. Ephesians. You can find it. And look at Ephesians chapter 2 if you can. Here's where I went in the Bible. Ephesians 2 in verse number 8. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved. Look up here. 
If the question is, how can I be saved? The answer is by, by grace. Do you know you'll never be saved by doing righteous deeds to impress God? Listen, I've been checking you out while I've been speaking to you. And I can tell you with authority this. You guys, you're never going to be able to do anything that dazzles God Almighty. You're pretty cool. I like you. You're my kinds of people, but you're not going to dazzle God. I talk to people about this, and I'm like, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? The guy says, my life and good works. He says, well, I know I'm a sinner, but by the end of my life, I'm going to have done enough good things that God will let me into his heaven. And I ask him, does God have a good heaven? God doesn't have a good heaven where good people go. God doesn't have an A-minus heaven where A-minus kinds of people go. That's a problem for some of you. Because you've been thinking, well, by the end of my life, I will have done more good things than bad things that God will let me in. No, no, God doesn't have a heaven that's more good than bad. That'd be a whole lot like earth, wouldn't it? There's only one heaven, and it's holy, absolutely perfect. And God can't let a B-minus person into a holy heaven, or it won't be holy anymore. So we got a problem, don't we? Listen, you can't go to heaven on what you've done good that you think is really special to God. Because you're a sinner, and you're disconnected from God. You're unplugged from God. You ever turn on the button on an electric fan? It won't go, will it, unless it's plugged into the electricity. There are many people who are trying to do their way to God. Walking forward, praying prayers, promising God stuff that John the Baptist couldn't do. And they won't either. And you can't. Listen, as long as you look at yourself to see if you're saved, you will always lose. The place to look is not at you because you are a failure in the eyes of God who is spiritually unplugged and dead. Listen, that's why Jesus came. Because we couldn't. And so he did. The payment that we owe God is not to go to church a lot. The payment we owe God is not to pray every day. The payment we owe God is not to stop doing everything that's wrong. The payment we owe God is not to start doing everything that's right. Some of you in a crowd this size, listen, I'm just certain. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm certain that you're haunted by this. And your spiritual life sort of is like this. Okay, I'm doing my very best. I'm going to buckle down and try really hard. And then you fail. And you're like, God, I can't believe I let you down. I did it again. I'm lost. And God, if you'll just forgive me of that one thing, I'll never do it again. Then you did it 900 more times. You can't explain it. See, if you could make it on your own, then Jesus could have avoided what happened to him. And it was nasty what happened to him. Here's why. The payment you owe God It's not church or membership or prayers or promises. It's not money. The payment you owe is death. Nothing more than death. Nothing less than death. Nothing else but death is what you owe God tonight. Are you ready to pay the price? 
But you don't have to. Because somebody else paid it for you in your place. Jesus Christ. And when he came, he is almighty God wrapped up in a human skin. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took all the sin of our lives. Past sins. Present sins. He even took sins that you haven't even done yet. And paid for that too. He paid for big sins. Little sins. Secret sins. That you wouldn't want anyone to know. But he knows. And he knows the price. And the Bible says. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Do you register this? You owe a death penalty to God. Jesus Christ took your sin, put himself in your place, and paid a death penalty to God. And that's the greatest news I've ever heard in my whole life. Nobody ever loved me like that. And that is the very thing that caused me to no longer be shy. It's the best news I've ever heard. And I believe that some of you just learned something about God. God is not on a performance basis with you. He does not love you when you're good and hate you when you're bad. He doesn't save you because you earned it and take it away because you did something that disappointed him. He's just not. You're not even that way with your puppy. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, by grace are you saved. That means you get something that you don't deserve through faith. That means you believe on Jesus Christ. Freddie, is it really that simple? I did not come to represent myself. I didn't come to tell you stories that I've invented about God or things that I consider logical. I came to tell you what the Bible says. And the God of all creation has put his only son on the cross to die and pay a penalty for you. He paid the whole thing for everybody in the building. It's paid. Good, Freddie, then everyone is saved. No, no. All sin got paid All are not saved. The saving God only gives to those who believe on his son. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. I want to make this very clear for you. I'm going to use my hands. I want you to watch me very carefully. Don't you let a devil distract you from what I'm telling you. These are the words of eternal life. Watch my hands carefully. I'm going to let this hand represent you and me and all the people in the world. Are you with me? Are you with me? What is this? It's my hand. And it represents all the people in the world. Stay with me. Concentrate. I'm going to let my wallet represent our sin. There you are. There I am. We all are represented by me. And there's our sin. You have it. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now let this hand represent God. Now watch this. Because of our sin, we're separated. You can't. 
can't get to God because of that sin. The sin is a barrier. He loves you. He loves you. God loves you, but he hates the sin because that's what separates you from him. Freddie, I've done too much of that. God doesn't love me. No, no. God loves you. See, if God didn't love sinners, he wouldn't have anyone left to love because we're all sinners. But the sin separates And so God took on flesh, Jesus Christ. The penalty for it was death, but he loved us enough to come and he took our place. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ died on the cross with our sin Paid a death penalty. It satisfied God the Father. He raised his son from the dead. Three days later, the sin got paid. The barrier was removed. Now, anybody in the world could have everlasting life by doing what the Bible says to do. And that's believe on his name. Watch this again with the Bible verse. Don't take my word for it, but you can trust God for it. Watch this. For God so loved the world that he gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Would you bow your head with me? Would you close your eyes for the most important moment of your life? You could never make a smarter decision than to trust in Jesus Christ. You could never, ever make a greater decision that will affect you for eternity than to believe on His name. I'm not asking you to walk anywhere tonight. I'm not asking you to sign anything or make a promise that we're not at all sure you would be able to keep. I'm asking you right there in your seat, didn't that make sense to you? And will you trust in Christ Right there where you are. Freddie, are you saying that all I have to do to have everlasting life is believe on Jesus Christ? Listen carefully. What I'm telling you is that's all you can do. You don't have anything else. You're busted. You're broken. You've fallen down and you can't get up. Salvation is not you somehow trying to pull your sorry act together and impress God with what you can do. No, no, you're dead. You're busted. Salvation's not a joint venture, salvation is a rescue. And all you can do is believe on Christ, it means to trust Him. It means to rely on him. Will you do that right there in your seat? Didn't you understand it? And won't you trust this man Christ for heads all bowed and eyes are closed? I want to ask you a favor. If tonight you saw Jesus Christ as your Savior, dying for you, risen from the dead, And just a moment ago, you believed in Christ to save you. Well, if you did that, he did. And you now possess everlasting life. You just got into the family of God. He'll never, ever 
kick you out. I want to ask you a favor. If you understood that tonight and tonight, you know you settled that matter. You know just a moment ago you bolted it down. You know you believed in Christ. I want to ask you a favor right there in your seat. If you believed in Christ a moment ago and now you know you're saved, would you just very quietly raise your hand for me? I'm not calling you forward, but I'd love for you to raise your hand. I'd like to know. Thank you, buddy. Very good. Leave it up just for a moment. It's a big room. I want to make sure that I see this. Now, I'm the friend who told you everlasting life. Please don't keep that from me. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to get something from you. I just want us all to get happy to know people were saved tonight. Thank you, honey. Very good. I'm excited for you. Thank you in the back and thank you. Very good. Are there others? Could I just know about it? It's a valid offer. Thank you, buddy. It could be yours. If you trusted in Christ, why don't you thank God for that? Prayer doesn't save you at all. But it would be a wonderful thing for you to thank God for a salvation that's free to you because Jesus paid his life for it. God, thank you for what you've done tonight. God, thank you for the truth of the grace of God. And God, thank you. You love the worst people in the world tonight. Thank you that your love has driven you to a cross where you would spend your life to pay a death penalty in our place. And I pray for every one of these tonight who's believed in Christ. They'll get a Bible that they will explode. I pray they'll eat the truth like ice cream and grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes closed. I want to say one thing to you. Listen. Tonight I talked about some areas in my life. I talked about lacking self-confidence. I talked about not knowing what to do about girls and boys and how they relate. I talked about suicide tonight. Some of you are grappling right now with some of those issues. I want you to know this. There are some people here who love you. And it's no accident at all that you're here. If you're grappling with some of these issues in your own life, will you tell the friend who'd love to talk and pray with you about it tonight, would you tell them in your room? And Lord, thanks for the neat things you're doing among us. We give you all credit and glory for good things that have happened tonight. And we pray in Jesus' awesome name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. I love you.